So we are uh, continuing in our series this week, uh, going through the book of James, which is just this delightful book in the New Testament. A lot of it sort of captured by this theme about being doers of the word. James is a straightforward writer. His book is all of five chapters long, and throughout all of it, he wants to impress us that we are to be doers of the word. That our faith is something that is in us but should be expressed on the outside of us too. And so in a whole bunch of different ways, he encourages that. And in this morning's scripture, he talks about being wise, about cultivating wisdom within us. Let's begin our exploration of this scripture with the word. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth of the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock, and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. I think there is a difference between knowledge and wisdom. When I was about eight years old, we had a dog, a golden retriever named Clover, who was about the same age and same size as I was. And as an eight-year-old with a budding sense of independence and responsibility that comes at that age, I was glad to help care for Clover and particularly enjoyed taking him for walks. He was a good dog who could have easily pulled me off my feet and down the streets of the neighborhood, but didn't. He was polite. He was happy to amble down the street, sniffing and doing his business. My job was to follow along behind, holding on to the leash, and to pick up his poop. Now I realized this is not exactly the most suitable conversation for polite society, but it is an unavoidable fact of life. And fortunately, for dog owners everywhere, there is a surprisingly well-engineered solution to manage this unsafe task with ease and cleanliness. We've had a roll of plastic bags and a dispenser clipped to the dog leash so that when the task was required, one could put the bag over their hands grasp the excrement using the bag, and then flip the bag inside on itself so it could be tied off and carried home, all without ever touching the people. And yes, we're going to use every one of the synonyms I could find in the source for poop. It was all very simple and straightforward, so long as you remember to replace the roll and all the bags had been used so you weren't left awkwardly walking away from the neighbor's lawn, hoping they don't notice the gift left behind in their friends. And the story is not about forgetting to refill the food bag roll, but rather what I noticed once when I did. I'd taken a roll from the box to replace it on the leash, and being an inquisitive child, read the description on the packaging, and I saw an unfamiliar word. And so I asked my mother about it. I said, what does biodegradable mean? And she explained that something biodegradable would decompose over some period of time, unlike so many plastics and styrofoam materials that sat unchanged for decades, just polluting the environment. And this made sense to me. I'm sure no one thought anything of it until some weeks later, when my father came inside from the yard one day, clearly upset. See, there was a bit of forest back behind our house, this stretch of land that provided drainage for the neighborhood and so would, by law, remain forever undeveloped and wild. We would occasionally throw our grass clippings or fallen tree branches out there in the forest as a simple and natural way to dispose of our lawn waste. 
And apparently, my father had looked back there for some reason and had noticed several small bags of something back there. And as he was now telling my mother, he was pretty sure the neighbor was throwing bags of dog poop behind our house. You might guess where this is going. My dad had no idea. But I stepped in and I said, actually, I had thrown the dog poop back there, and I had never seen such a look of confusion on anyone's face. He stopped completely in his tracks and looked down at me with bewilderment, only able to spire out a single word. He said, why? And I looked back at him and I said, well, it's biodegradable. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. It has been said that knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit while wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. A much lesser known but still very true corollary is that knowledge is knowing that a bag of poop is biodegradable while wisdom is still not throwing it in your backyard. Knowledge comes from gathering facts and information, wisdom, is found in applying what we know to be true. Are you wise? James asks us. He says, then show it. It sounds like a familiar refrain. Be doers of the word he has said all the way throughout that what is on the inside must be expressed on the way that we live on the outside. But we can sometimes understand faith and living our faith as learning all of the right things, accumulating all of the right knowledge, and then simply doing the right things. Treating the entire Christian experience as some sort of intellectual exercise that drives embodied response. But knowledge is not the same thing as wisdom. How often have we seen all those with the right information, all the best knowledge, use it all to go in completely the wrong direction? As if it has ever not been the case, we are certainly in a place today where we can recognize that an abundance of information, of knowledge, as we have access to, is hardly sufficient for preventing division and disorder. James speaks of conflicts and disputes, of division and fracturing, a reality that we know all too well. As we continue to live through the pandemic, to learn more, to gather information about what COVID-19 is like and the various responses, well, that hasn't kept us from fracturing at a national and local level. And in fact, every switch way we can seem to look at the issues of society, whether it's international politics or laws around who can do what, about keeping, uh, taking care of the environment or anything else, but we can gather all the knowledge that we might wish to have, information that is verifiable and true, and yet we fracture and split around how we apply it. Are any of you wise? James asks. And we would like to know the same. Is anyone wise? James is building on a foundation of biblical wisdom, which is found throughout the scriptures, particularly in the book of Proverbs, which describes wisdom as almost a character, as a person that was there at the beginning with God in creation. And in the Jewish tradition, in fact, attested to in Proverbs 8, there's the idea that wisdom, 
as God's companion, sometimes makes visits to earth, seeking people in whom to dwell. Wisdom descends from on high to rest within us. But sometimes, we who think we have wisdom drawn from below instead of above. This is the big movement that James makes in this scripture, drawing this dividing line between what comes from above and what comes from below, the good wisdom and the not good wisdom. Now it's important to note that as James does this, he uses particular language, he describes sort of divine or heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom. Now what he's not doing here is making an ecological theology. He's not saying that earth is bad, that creation itself is bad. The entire broad scriptural story is not about abandoning creation, but redeeming it. For James, he's not describing the entire earth. What he's doing is using a helpful shorthand to describe something that is the opposite of divine. There is the divine, and then there is the earth. And he draws some distinctions between the two. Wisdom from below is demonic, jealous, it's selfish, bitter, evil, while wisdom from above is pure, peaceful, gentle, obedient, merciful, fair, genuine, and just. Wisdom from above sows the seeds of peace. Wisdom from below creates conflict and division. And it seems readily apparent which of the two we would choose if the choice was always in front of us, just as James described it. But it seems that it's not, for the wisdom from below which haunts us so frequently comes from somewhere. It has a source from somewhere. And this is what James turns to look at in the scripture. James looks at the source and calls out our cravings and our longings. Importantly, this is James describing and talking to people like him. It's not about other people, but good Christian people, about people exactly like us and us ourselves more often than we'd like to admit that fall trapped in wisdom from below that divides and fractures. We can ask the question any number of ways beyond how James describes it. We can ask what drives people to be divisive and to write others off. We can ask what drives the need to put other people down, whether it's physical acts of violence or through the kind of abuse we observe when people attack each other in all kinds of subtle ways with and without words. We can ask why it is that some Christians seem so happy to hate, even though they will dress it up with some kind of justification. We can ask where does this come from? Where does this divisive James says it comes from our faith. It comes from our longings. It comes from us looking for the things that we think are going to satisfy us. Important. Looking for things that will satisfy us is not inherently wrong. And in fact, often our desires seem honest and honorable. They begin from a good place. What do we want with security? What do we want but stability? We want reassurance and agency. We want to be loved and respected. We want peace. There's nothing wrong with wanting these things. The trouble 
is that we're not convinced there's enough of it to go around. James is actually drawing on a bit of a Greco-Roman ideology, and so he doesn't speak it all the way out, but in describing envy or jealousy, he's tapping into a world where there is the idea that humans live in a closed system of limited resources, and so therefore, by nature, we are in competition with each other. That in this realm of material things, for one of us to have more of something, means that another of us must have less of that same thing. And so this logic of envy demands competition for scarce resources. And so we look for things out of this honorable and holy place, perhaps, but we end up taking them from others to satisfy ourselves. We'll infringe on someone else's safety to establish our own security. We'll hoard instead of share establish our own will allow and sometimes even stoke division if it might establish a sense of peace among those we count to be on our side. We might at times attribute these actions to misinformation, but James suggests that more important than what we know is what we want. We want things only for ourselves. Knowledge is knowing that God hears our powerful petitions in prayer. But wisdom is discerning what to pray for. We ask and don't have, James says, because we ask to waste it on our own cravings. And James offers a different Look to God, James says. Come near to God. Submit to God. Repent and be redeemed. Desire nothing but God and God alone. Instead of desiring those things which we think will fill us, desire God who has never-ending abundance of all things, who is the source of all creation and of all life. This is the transforming work of the faith, to be enveloped in the never-ending, infinite love of God and discover there that God holds in balance the care of all people, ourselves included. That in the love of God, God is developing a peaceful unity, counting none ahead of another, but holding us all at the same. Draw near to God, James says. And then if he didn't push it quite hard enough, we end the scripture with a bit of a punch. James calls us double-minded because we tend to be caught in the polarity between what he has described. He describes wisdom from above and wisdom from below, draws this clear dividing line as, we might, as though we might always find ourselves on one side or the other. And then once he has drawn the two sides, he plants us with a foot on either side of the line. We have a desire to seek nothing but God, yet also know the point to care for ourselves first. We are double-minded, James says, and presents us this choice, this difficult choice. 
It seems like it should be easy because intellectually you can follow what James has said, and who would want to live by the wisdom from below that divides instead of unifies, that fractures us instead of developing peace? But the heart knows that without getting what we want for ourselves, but we may not get it right away. James's community was beleaguered and challenged that we might know the same sort of circumstances ourselves. Without looking to our own interests first, well, then we're left vulnerable to all the world's crafts. But grab your boot, that's There's a story about a Sunday school teacher once who asked the class, what is it, who is it, that makes the seed sprout and grow? James described those who live with God in this as sowing seeds of peace. Seeds that might be planted in the earth but don't come to fruition right away. Seeds for unity and harmony that may not happen in the instant at which we live them out, that we trust with nurture and care will come to pass. One of the children in this Sunday school class, a young girl, said, Well, God makes the seed grow, but fertilizer helps. Knowledge is knowing that the poop bags are biodegradable. Wisdom is making sure they're put in the right spot to foster the right growth. Wisdom is planting our hearts in the grass of God's love, so that with everything we have to offer, we might be a people that plant seeds of peace by trusting Friends, as we continue in worship, I invite you to stand as you are able to sing our next hymn. Um, 